turn to it. It's just about the middle. It's on page 547. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of living water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. This is the word of the Lord. Well, I'm up to two microphones now. <laughs> See if this one works better. The brief I've been given by Steve is to introduce the new series of sermons on the Psalms and to uh, look at Psalm 1 with you. In the end, I suppose because I got caught up in the, in the whole stuff as I was preparing for it, there's rather more about the first part of the brief than the second I'll tell you that just in case you think the sermon's going on and you ought to have brought your lunch. But let's pray. Father God, thank you for this, your word, where your people, led by your spirit, have written their own experience of you for us to read and learn from. Help us by your spirit to, to do that, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. I wonder what you make of the book of Psalms. Do you read them? If so, how often? Of course, if we were more traditionally Anglican in our worship, we would be saying or singing Psalms every time we met for worship. Clearly, many who've read the Psalms over the years have found them both stimulating and challenging. Here are just a few of their reactions. No book of the Bible peers more deeply into the human soul than Psalms. It invites us to trust God with our rawest emotions, embrace holiness, and look to the Messiah. The Psalms peer into our human soul. I wonder if that's your experience when you read the Psalms. Does it help you to know that you can bring to God your rawest emotions? More of that shortly. Here's a second one. Psalms is the heart of the Old Testament. It informs our intellect stimulates our imagination, arouses our emotions, and stirs us to holy thoughts and actions. I wonder when you read the Psalms, are you informed, stimulated, 
Aroused? Do you find yourself stirred to holy action? Here's the third one. The primal need of the human spirit is faith. Because man was made to believe in God, but the cry of the human heart is for hope. The book of Psalms particularly reflects the variety of human hopes. Every experience of man's heart is here. There are those who would tell us that a sense of hope is so much needed in our society today. How do the Psalms help? Then there's C.S. Lewis of the Lion, Witch and the Wardrobe fame. The most valuable thing the Psalms has done for me is to express the same delight in God which made David dance. Do you want to dance when you read the Psalms? The book of Psalms has often been, has often been called the hymn book of God's people. Just like any modern hymn book, it contains words expressing a range of thoughts and feelings. In our hymn books, for example, we find hymns of praise, such as praise to the Lord, the Almighty, the King of creation. Similarly, we find words of praise in the Psalms, such as praise the Lord, praise the Lord from the heavens, praise him in the heights above. That's uh, Psalm 148. In our hymn books, we find words expressing confession, such as Dear Lord and Father of mankind, forgive our foolish ways. And in the Psalms we find, Have mercy on me, O God. According to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgression. Psalm 51. And in our hymn books, we find songs expressing regret, even anger, at the injustice in our world, such as Beauty for brokenness, hope for despair, Lord in the suffering, this is our prayer. And we find similar sentiments in the Psalms, such as, the wicked clothe themselves with violence. From their callous hearts comes iniquity. Their evil imagination has no limits. Psalm 73. Most of us probably know the odd phrase from the Psalms. The Lord is my shepherd. Psalm 23. Maybe the beginning of Psalm 121. I lift up my eyes to the mountains. Or Psalm 137. By the rivers of Babylon. Or perhaps the beginning of Psalm 46. God is our refuge and strength. If only because it's, there's a modern version of it that's been set to the Dambusters March. You may have a favourite psalm verse or from the phrase or, or verse from the Psalms. Mine is probably these words. For you created my inmost being, you knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Words out of Psalm 139. These words, I believe, are so significant because they apply not just to me, but to every single human being, whatever background, culture, or environment they come from. It's a message for today's sadly divided world and for so many individuals who struggle with self-worth. Every person we meet, I believe, has been made 
fearfully and wonderfully by God, whoever they are. So in the book of Psalms, we have a collection of 150 hymns which reflect every human experience and every human emotion. At times, the emotions are very raw, very strongly expressed, even vindictive. A classic example of that comes at the end of Psalm 137, the psalm that begins, By the waters of Babylon. Having been taken into exile by Babylon, God's people are desperate and angry. And emotions are expressed very directly in the last two verses of the Psalms. The sort of verses we don't always read. Daughter Babylon, doomed to destruction. Happy is the one who repays you according to what you've done to us. Happy is the one who seizes your infants and dashes them against the rocks. That's the Psalms. Is it ever right to express such powerfully strong feelings to God? According to the Psalms, it's okay. The Psalms can speak to us today because they're a conversation between people who, while living and moving and having their being in a very different culture, environment from ours, are just like us. And God, who is unchanging, we worship and serve exactly the same God they worshipped and served. They are struggling to make sense of life and of faith in a world that's often unhelpful, unhelpful to say the least, and at times very unfriendly and antagonistic, just as we are doing. Many scholars have helpfully tried to categorise different kinds of psalms according to their chief theme. I want to share just one such categorization with you, which I find particularly helpful. It comes from an American Old Testament scholar called Walter Brueggemann. He arranges the Psalms under just three headings, which he calls orientation, disorientation, and new orientation. Let me explain. We're going to take a brief look at each heading in turn. Psalms of orientation. He suggests these psalms reflect a settled, contented state, secure in a God who is reliable and trustworthy, a faith which is unshaken by anything life may throw at them. And a good example of that kind of psalm is Psalm 145. I will exalt you, my God and King. I'll praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. David, who according to the heading wrote this psalm, is obviously having a good day. There's a positive, upbeat feel throughout the 21 verses. No hint of trouble or negativity of any kind. What is more, he wants others to share his positivity about life and about God, ending with the words, let every creature praise his holy name forever and ever. There are a fair number of psalms which are similarly upbeat. Look out for them as you read the psalms. 
Second prosecration, disorientation. These psalms, some would say, are more honest. Instead of burying our head in the sand and praising God anyway, we acknowledge the disorder of the world around us, the pain, the suffering, the injustice, the bewilderment with which we're surrounded, and we bring these things to God, often accompanied by strong emotions. Psalm 13, for example. How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Have you ever prayed? How long to God? How long? We, uh, the church where we now belong, uh, just over two years ago, one of the teenagers of a, of a whole family that came to the church was taken to the hospital suffering from anorexia. And she was in a very bad way. And some of us who were familiar with the family were asked to pray for her. And at times she was near death. She'd written off the world, she'd written off people, she'd written off God, she'd written off her family. But we prayed on. Just a fortnight ago, whenever Bank Holiday Monday was, we met her, looking good and out with the whole of her family. She's not home and dry yet. She still needs care to help back into life with the help of psychiatrists. But we've been praying for over two years. How, how often have we prayed? How long, Lord? How long? How long? And here's another example, Psalm 74. Oh God, why have you rejected us forever? Why does your anger smolder against the sheep of your pasture? pasture? Why do you hold back your hand, your right hand? Take it from the folds of your garment and destroy them. Do you feel like praying that sometimes? Seems to me the Psalms give us permission to challenge God, to ask him what he's up to, to question his apparent inaction. I love the message version of verse 11 of that psalm. Why don't you do something? How long are you going to sit there with your hands in your lap? It's as if we're saying to God, pull your finger out, God. Don't you feel like that sometimes? And the Psalms give us permission to pray like that if that's where we're at. And then there's a third heading, psalms of new, new orientation or reorientation. These psalms begin in a negative mood, rehearsing current difficulties, but God seems to break in, bringing new revelation, new possibilities. God hears the cries of his people and answers, dispelling their sense of disorientation. There is restored faith and new hope. Here's a couple of examples. Psalm 30. I will exalt you, Lord, for you lifted me out of the depths. You did not let my enemies gloat over me. Lord, my God, I called you for help, and you healed me. You turned my wailing into dancing. You removed my sackcloth and clothed me with joy. And again, 91. 
If you say, the Lord is my refuge, and you make the most high your dwelling, no harm will overtake you. No disaster will come near your tent, for he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. These psalms don't always spell out exactly what's been going on, but simply hint at the difficulty and major on giving thanks for the result. But there's one psalm in particular where the change of perspective from disorientation to new orientation happens within the psalm. I think of Psalm 73. You're familiar with that psalm in the first part? The psalmist is complaining about his lot. How wicked people seem to get on in life much better than the likes of him who tries to live a good life. But in the centre of the psalm, we actually read the change of orientation and how it happened, which the message version expresses so effectively. What's going on here? Is God out to lunch? Nobody's tending the store. The wicked get by with everything. They've made it, piling up riches. I've been stupid to play by the rules. What's it gotten me? A long run of bad luck, that's what. A slap in the face every time I walk out the door. Still, when I try to figure it out, all I got was a splitting headache. Until, and here's the pivot verse, until I entered the sanctuary of God. Then I saw the whole picture. I find that psalm so helpful. How often do we moan about things, go on about things, worry about things, and then decide, well, perhaps I ought to pray about it. And that's what is happening here. I was totally ignorant, a dumb ox in your very presence. I'm still in your presence, but you've taken my hand. And this is how he ends the psalm in the message version I've made the Lord God my home. God, I'm telling the world what you do. So there's a whole change of perspective, of orientation in that psalm. It's a, it's a remarkable change. And there are numerous psalms which reflect this. I don't know which psalms you're going to be looking at over the next few weeks, but it might be helpful just to look out for this kind of classification. Are they psalms which seem to be totally upbeat? Are there some psalms which are negative? Or are there psalms where you see the change happening? However scholars try to classify the psalms, the Bible text itself reveals that in fact we don't have one book of psalms, but five. Book one is Psalms 1 to 41. Book two... Psalms 42 to 72. And the last verse of verse 72 reads, This concludes the prayers of David, son of Jesse. Most of the Psalms in those first two books are by David or certainly reflect David. Book 3, Psalm 73, the one we've just been looking at, 289. Book 4, Psalm 90 to 106. Book 5, Psalm 107 to 150. So Psalm 1, which we're invited to look at this morning, 
It's really an introduction, at least to books one and two, possibly for the whole 150, like a prologue. In summary, the psalm is about two groups of people. The so-called blessed, verse 1. Can we have the text of the psalm up again? Can you find it? Brilliant. Or the righteous, which you find at the end of the psalm. And then there's the so-called wicked, mentioned in verses 4, 5 and 6. Righteous, or blessed, wicked. And this is, of course, a recurring theme throughout the Bible, Old Testament and New Testament. A clear distinction between those who obey God, who do things God's way, and those who don't. Sometimes focusing on individuals, sometimes on whole groups of people or nations. And, of course, we're familiar with this distinction, are we not? In the teaching of Jesus. In the Sermon of the Mount, did he not talk about two gates? One broad, which leads to destruction. One narrow, that leads to life. Did he not talk about two men who built on two different kinds of foundation? Sand and rock. Some of us are old enough in our Sunday school days may remember a song we used to sing about that one, about the wise man built his house upon a rock. The rains came down, the floods came up, and the house on the rock felt so firm. The one on the rock stood firm, the one on the sand collapsed. This is the same distinction we find in Psalm 1, that Jesus gives us in the Sermon on the Mount. Elsewhere in the Gospels, Jesus tells parables on a similar theme. Wise and foolish virgins, sheep and goats. The wise virgins and the sheep are blessed, the foolish virgins and the goats are not. So the theme of Psalm 1 is very familiar. How does, how does it help us understand and respond to it? It offers us negative guidance, then positive guidance. Negatively, in verse 1, there's a challenge to avoid the ways of the world, which can be so strong and attractive as they are for us today, urging us to conform in a variety of ways. And if you notice that verse... There's a, it's almost as if there's a, there's a progression in it. Stand, walk, stand, sit. Walk, stand, sit. I find that very thought-provoking and challenging. Walk, with, walk in step with the wicked. Perhaps us just showed an interest and how the world does it. Just walking alongside the world. And then our interest is piqued. So we stand in the way of sinners, deciding we're going to find out a bit more about how the world works. 
and then sit in the company, sit in that same verse, suggesting getting involved with the world. We walk along, see, see, get the flavour of the world, we stop to learn more, and we get involved. There's a solitary warning here, I suggest. It's like a slippery slope, which is so easy to find ourselves going down because the world is so subtle and attractive in its lure. This is the challenge that Paul brings to us in Romans chapter 12. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. Or as one paraphrase puts it, don't let the world squeeze you into its own mould. After the negative guidance comes the positive in verses 2 and 3. If we're going to flourish as God's people, to be fruit-bearing disciples, constantly being renewed, then we need to keep in touch with God. Read and meditate on his word day by day, enjoying God's resources so we can prosper the word that comes in verse 3. Of course, for those of us who have been Christians any length of time, all this seems old stuff. We've heard it so many times. And here it is, written down some 3,000 years ago. The same principle. This is the way to keep in touch with God. This is the way to resist the ways of the world. Engaging with the word of God. Engaging with God himself. Knowing the resources of God to live the way he wants us to live. The challenge is, of course... One thing to read it, to know it, another thing to do it. There's the challenge of Psalm 1, I think. Are we doing it? Because this psalm also reminds us, in verses 4 to 6, of the two ways we can go. The way of blessing and the way of destruction. The message version puts verse 6 like this. God charts the road you take the road they take is Skid Row. And this is exactly the challenge Jesus brings to us. Are we going through the narrow gate that leads to life or the broad gate that doesn't? The impression is, of course, the implication is the narrow gate's the hard way, but it actually leads to life. The, the broad gate's the easy way, but doesn't. Are we building on sand or on rock? There's the choice that Psalm 1 brings us, that Jesus brings us. And note, there's no middle way. It's either narrow gate or broad gate. It's either rock or sand. It's either knowing the blessing of God or not. And the Bible is constantly, all the New Testament alike, giving us that challenge. And here it is in Psalm 1. So what about you? Do you need to face this honestly with God today? How far are you engaged with the world? Are you walking beside it? Standing looking at it? Sitting down with it? How far is the world squeezing you into its mould? you need to ask God to transform you and renew you 
so you can be wholly his, doing life his way. Let's pray. Father God, we hear the challenge of your word to us this morning. The challenge of the powerful attraction of the world around us. The temptation to walk along with the world, even to stand with the world, and even to sit with the world. And the challenge comes to us to resist the world and all its attractions, not allow it to squeeze us into its mould. So we pray for the help of your Spirit, that we may be determined to do it the old way, day by day, to engage with you, to learn from you, to talk with you, and find resources from you, so we can be doing life as you would have us do it. Help us in this, we pray, Lord. For Jesus' sake. Amen.